Mesachas Maestras, Perak Base, Mishnah Gimel, 2-3. We've established already that the point of Gemar Malacha, when the production of food is complete and therefore the requirement to tithe prior to eating even awry casually kicks in, um, depends on whether one intends to sell this produce or to bring it home for personal consumption. If he's bringing it home for personal consumption, then it doesn't um, hit the point of, of being required to tithe prior to eating, if you're eating casually, until you bring it home. However, we said that if you're selling it and taking it to the shuk, to the marketplace, so then Gemar Malacha occurs when one finishes physically processing, even though he hasn't yet transported the produce from the field where he's doing the production and did the Gemar Malacha to the marketplace where he's going to sell the produce. And the rationale was because as soon as he finishes the production in the field, he's ready to sell. He's done. And if a person were interested in buying the produce and he came to the field, the farmer would be happy to sell it at the field. In fact, he'd prefer to sell it at the field rather than have to drag it to the market. The dragging to the market is simply an issue of, of, of marketing, of finding a buyer. But then in terms of production, it's finished. This mission will come to qualify that and will say that in the event that the person, the farmer, has intention specifically not to sell the produce here in the field because he has a particular place that he wants to sell his produce. Let's say, as in the case of the Mishnah, he is a farmer that is harvesting in the Galil in the north of Israel, and he intends to sell in Yehuda in the south of Israel. Let's say, for argument's sake, that he knows he can get a better price in Yehuda and Yerushalayim. So he wants to take it down there. That being the case, just as Gemar Malach hasn't occurred for personal use till one brings it home, here, the Gemar Malacha doesn't occur until he arrives at the place where he has his intention to specifically sell over there. And therefore the Mishnah says, Hamala peros min ha-galil le-Yehuda. If one is transporting his produce from the Galil in the north to Yehuda in the south, o-ola le-Yerushalayim, or he's going up to Yerushalayim. Again, you'll note that the word ole means to go up, even if he's coming from the Galil in the north, south to Yerushalayim, but it's still um, going up. It's an aliyah. He is permitted to continue to eat from this produce, in a casual way, uh, all the time he's walking and transporting this produce to the place where he intends to sell it. The same is true even if he is intending to, he, he changes his mind halfway. In other words, halfway to Yehuda from Galil, he decides, after all, he'd rather sell it in the Galil and turns around. Again, since he has intention to sell it in Galil, and he's going there and not selling it here, so Gemar Malacha hasn't kicked in. There is a different gear so that it's not Bechazara and going back, but rather Be Yehuda, if, meaning if he's starting Yehuda and going north to, to Galil, two different gear cells. The way I explain it, it's like the Bar and the Baker Chedesh. Now, as we're going to see again and again now over this parak, the there are other things that can occur which force Gemar Malacha to happen now conceptually, meaning one can't eat without tithing, even though the textbook physical act of Gemar Malacha in terms of reaching home or finishing production has occurred. And one of those things is going to be Shabbos. We've seen already, and we're going to see further, that um, if one goes into Shabbos with his food, that food can't be consumed on Shabbos unless it's tithed, um, and Shabbos makes all consumption formal. So our mission now is continuing what it said before, but it's considering what happens if the farmer who started in the Galil and transports his produce down to Yehuda has to stay over somewhere, over Shabbos, as he's going 
from north to south. Does that now, intervening Shabbos, make all the produce subject to the tithing requirements prior to casual consumption? So at least to Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Meir, According to Rav Meir, yes, it does. When he arrives at the place where he's making Shabbos, even though Shabbos hasn't arrived, but he's arrived at the place where he's staying for Shabbos, now he's got like a permanent place that's like a, a proxy, a replacement for um, arriving home or at the marketplace. It's Shabbos. Shabbos is a no such thing as casualness by Shabbos. Shabbos is the ultimate fixed place, the ultimate destination. And that being the case, says Rabbi Meir, as soon as he arrives at the place he'll be staying for Shabbos, now eating this food always becomes prohibited until he tithes it. However, the halacha does not follow Rabbi Meir. The halacha is like Tanakama, that the whole way that the farmer is transporting even through Shabbos, um, not on Shabbos, because you can't eat it on Shabbos without tithing it, but um, even if he passes through a Shabbos, there's no requirement to tithe. Now, the Mishnah continues to consider one more case, and that is not someone transporting produce, but rather itinerant peddlers, rochlin. So in the time of antiquity um, transportation was very slow and difficult and unlike today where people go to the store uh, many times for less um, easily made goods local goods uh, the store would come to them so that means that there were peddlers who would come into town and essentially go door-to-door knocking and sell various uh, various goods you'll see actually Chazal were quite concerned not in this Mishnah but elsewhere uh, that that uh, we actually saw it in the Mishnah about Gomlin, about uh, looking like you're in cahoots and reciprocity, but the other Chazals, you see in a number of places in the, in the Gemara, that these Rochlin would come and they really were dependent upon them, and Chazal were concerned if we give them a hard time, they wouldn't come, and maybe wouldn't have like the perfume that the women need to be attracted to their husbands and so on. Fascinating. And here the bartender explains that these Rochlin, these peddlers, indeed are selling uh, uh, perfumes and other, you know, like combs, whatever the story is, so the women could uh, beautify themselves. So these itinerant peddlers, let's say they have figs in their pockets, and these figs are untied figs. So as they're walking, they're not home, and therefore uh, they could eat them achilles arai. The question is, what happens if they're staying over the night in a certain place? It's kind of like they're not going home to their home. This will be their home uh, as they travel from place to place. And that thing I'll call it a hotel for argument's sake. So the question is then, what's with the tithing requirements as they get to their hotel? So the Mishnah says, bayaros. If you're peddlers who go from city to city, ochlin, they may eat, ad halina, until they get to the place where they're spending the night. In other words, not Shabbos, but just lina is overnight. The loon is to stay out the night. So once they reach that place, and then already, um, meaning like the, the hotel they're staying in for the night, that already is like home for them, and now when they can't eat those figs or whatever's in their pockets, until they first tie them, even awry. Rabbi Huda Omer habayis harishin hu beso. Rabbi Huda actually ups the ante a little bit. He says the way it works is that these peddlers are knocking door to door, and these are my words, but that's how I understand it. The peddlers will essentially ask each person's door whom they knock. We're selling, you know, we're selling perfume, and we're peddlers. Can we stay the night over here? Presumably they pay them rent for using the basement or something, whatever the case. So the first, Rabbi Huda is saying, uh, when they get to the city in which they are intending to stay the night, the first house they get to in that city, they're going to like unload their packs to sell their wares, and they're certainly hoping they'll be able to sleep the night at that particular home because they're exhausted, they want to put their stuff down ready, it's been a long day of schlepping. And that being the case, says Rabbi Yehuda, when they get to the first house of the city in which they intend to spend the night, since they're really 
now intending to unpack those bags and not repack them again. They feel like they've arrived, and that's sufficient to kick in that they've arrived home. Um, even if later on they end up not being able to stay in that first home and have to go to a different house across town, it doesn't matter. Says Rebihuda. The halach, however, is like the Tanakama, which is no, 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 until they get to their home that they're staying in for the night, whatever, that their, their temporary home. Only then, uh, the final home for the evening, that's when the obligation kicks in. So again, Rebihuda Omer, Habay Sarishan Huveso, the first house that he arrives in the city which he is planning on spending the night, that's considered to be his bias, his home uh, for this particular obligation of of uh, tithing requirements. But again, the halacha does not follow Rabbi Yehuda. It's like the Tanakama.